I think of all the times I get to sit at, you know, at the front of a graduation ceremony and listen to the kids and watch their faces, which is absolutely precious. Most people don't get a chance to get the view, you know, a high school principal or superintendent or board member gets. And it's just, it's hard to put into words how powerful that is. And to then think, boy, what if they don't get that? Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined as always by Miles Danhausen. How's it going, Miles? It's going well, Andrew. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, I know that you religiously listen to every episode of the podcast as soon as it's uploaded. Did you happen to notice that yesterday the music was back in at the beginning and the end? It's incredible. It's nice to have it that back in so there. It felt so good. Yeah, so I, I'm sure we talked about it when we first started doing this, but when we moved to daily updates, we really wanted to get people information as quickly as possible. And it just felt kind of weird to have all of the pomp and circumstance at the beginning of the podcast the way that we've had it. So we kind of stripped it out, made it a a very news-focused podcast. But as we're moving forward through this and we're starting to take strides to move forward, uh, I think it felt good to just put it back in. And it's weird how nostalgic I got for something that disappeared (laughs) only like three weeks ago. So uh, it was good to have that back. I hope that it makes the listening experience just a little, feel a little bit more normal for people who have been listening for a long time or for new listeners just to kind of reintroduce the idea of of how the, the podcast normally is formatted. So I'm glad that we're able to start moving back in that direction a little bit. Yeah, that's great. And, you know, since we're talking about the the longtime listeners and, and especially the ones who have just picked it up, you know, we've had a couple of, of shout outs. Obviously, this is a difficult time for all businesses and the pulse is no different. But I wanted to say, like, how much it means to our staff and to me and to Dave Elliott, our, our founder, the notes of encouragement, the emails that we get from people who are saying that they they really appreciate the podcast or they appreciate the paper or for those folks in Sturgeon Bay and Southern Door who are now getting in their mailboxes every week who have expressed their appreciation. Uh, we can't thank you enough for that. It does mean a lot to hear that, that, that feedback. And then also we've had an outpouring of folks who have either sent us, even though we're sending it free to their mailbox, pe- folks have sent and just subscribed anyway. And just that small contribution helps us a lot. And people who have bought stickers and hats and park posters, all of those go to helping us get through this and and do what we do and deliver the news to you. And you know, uh, to be valued in that way by our listeners and readers, it means the world. So thank you to everyone who's done that. And I'm sure Andrew, you feel the same way because we, you know, we're putting this out every day and it takes time. It takes a lot of editing work on your part. A lot of research goes into it. And to know that you appreciate it, listeners, it, it means the world. It does. And Miles, I know that you've been doing this, you know, serving the community a lot longer than I have. But every time I sit down to record the podcast or upload an episode, I always am hoping that what I'm doing is important for the community. I'm hoping that when you listen to this, you're taking something away from it that either informs you a little bit more on a subject or adds some context to the discourse that you're having with your community or entertains you in some way, just something that you're getting out of this. And to hear those notes of encouragement and response from the community has been really great. It it makes me feel like what we're doing is having the impact that we're hoping that it does. And we hope that we continue to to put out that important content for people as we move forward. So thank you for for bringing that up. And, and I just want to echo that. Thank you to everybody who listens and to everybody who supports The Pulse, uh, especially right now, but 
all year long. Um, thank you very much. So why don't we jump into the news? Uh, we have just one story to talk about today. Not much has changed in terms of the numbers in Door County. There's been more tests that have been done. Um, so there's a little bit more tests that are pending, a couple more negative results, but things are largely the same. Uh, as they were yesterday. One thing that did happen yesterday is that Door County announced that the campgrounds are going to be closed soon, if not today, right? April 15th, I think uh, is what it was. Yeah, it took effect on the 15th, so yesterday. And for people who had already come up and open, they were, I think, allowed for the time being. I'm not quite clear on, on how that's going to go down. But if people, I think it's so if you're allowed, but if you leave, you can't come back. So if you were coming up right. in like a weekend warrior, and you go away, like consider your site closed. But if you were up here and that's kind of like your home now and you're staying there, you can continue to do that. This right, but you are encouraged to go back to your permanent residence as soon as you are able to. Correct. That's the other part of it. Because um, I'm guessing like most of these campgrounds, they, they wouldn't have the services you might need if something were to come up um, right. if, if, the, if they're being asked to close. So the state parks in Door County, those campgrounds had already been closed. So this doesn't, change anything as far as state parks go. You can still visit the state parks. There's only the ones, there's 40 parks around the state that have been closed, mostly in southeastern and the southern parts of the state where they were just getting overrun by visitors and people who were not really respecting the grounds, as it were. But I think in Door County, people have been pretty good about it so far. The campgrounds disaffects are all the private ones and the RV parks. As much as it's a huge controversy when every one of those new one gets uh, proposed, there's already thousands of camping sites in Door County. So between campsites and RV parks. So that is actually a lot of people. And that was part of the order put out by the Door County Public Health Department. And what Sue Power said is part of this is, you know, these have the potential as the weather improves and as hotels are closed, you could potentially see a, a lot of visitors, maybe into the thousands of visitors come up and just camp in Door County. So that was kind of the justification for the closure. Well, and there's also the non-essential travel order within the safer at home thing as well. So like you could, you could argue that the line is kind of blurry in terms of coming up to your second home or your vacation residence, but it's, it's pretty cut and dry that if you are traveling to camp at a campground, that that falls within the non-essential travel. So it, it makes a lot of sense in addition to the things that you were talking about and just in terms of the number of people coming up, it makes a lot of sense to close the campgrounds right now, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and she mentioned that exact thing in the, in the order as well of like, by having them open, we are in essence encouraging non-essential travel. So we want to go the opposite direction and discourage from people taking that sort of thing because that's generally a weekend or a few week or a few days, maybe a week or two. That's not essential, like you said. So it's... You know, obviously a bummer for another business that has to, to close, but I, I can definitely understand why that order was put out. Right. Now, if if this were me back when I was, you know, 10, 11, 12, and I was camping at campgrounds quite frequently, the stay-at-home order wouldn't really affect me that much because basically as soon as we would get to the campsite, I would jump into my bunk bed and I would play video games for the whole weekend. So I would <laughs> essentially be quarantining the whole time. I think that uh, 
I would be able to deal with this pretty well. You're a terrible camper. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, we had a, we had a camper, so it's like, you could argue that we were all terrible campers from the beginning, <laughs> but no, no offense to anybody who has a camper or an RV and enjoys it. It was a huge part of my life growing up. So I totally get it. Um, anything else about this order before we move on to our interview today? Uh, nothing about this order, but I'm curious, have you followed much of the news about this pork processing plant in South Dakota and the outbreak related to it? No, I haven't, but I'm terrified right now. Go yeah. ahead and tell me what happened. And so South Dakota to this point had, and a lot of these kind of dispersed low population states feel like they're very safe. And some of them have not had safer at home orders or stay home orders. And because like we are a rural population and this happens in cities and we don't have anything to worry about. Well, South Dakota now has more than 650 cases of COVID-19 related to the Smithfield Foods pork processing plant in Sioux Falls. So huh. they apparently, from what I was reading last night, people started to get sick. Smithfield started offering $500 for people to like a bonus to stay on the job. These are a lot of people who need that money. So they did. And a lot of people who were sick continued to come to work and it spread to, I think it's 500 and some employees and another 130 people who came in contact with those employees. And they're not even testing that widely in South Dakota. So now they have a major outbreak all related to one plant. And it's what, as I'm spending yesterday trying to figure out like, how can we reopen? How can we move forward in even some sort of measured way. And then you hear about news like that and or like the news of one funeral or one birthday party starting an outbreak. And there's nothing that says that can't happen anywhere, right? So then you're like, oh man, we gotta be, you, you have to be that vigilant. That just kind of put a damper on it because you're, you're like, well, we've only got the nine. We're not seeing the outbreak here. Maybe we could do something. But then right. you read about that. <laughs> yeah, it, you know, I'm, Obviously not a medical professional. Really? Well, yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I thought you were moonlighting. <laughs> I have uh, performed as a medical professional on stage, but I don't know if that if that counts. I, I think that actually, right now with the shortage, I think that would make you potentially a, a useful. I'm next in line. Yes. Yep. Okay, but it seems to me that if if one person gets sick and goes to work, they don't spread it to one or two coworkers. They spread it to everybody, which is alarming. You know what I mean? Because it's like, imagine if we still had sports going on or if sports open back up in the next month and we had people filling stadiums. It's like, it's not like 10 people are going to get sick from going to a sports game. It's like, everybody's going to get sick. And that's devastating. Yeah. I mean, it's, and you know, like a lot of these, the players, a lot of the athletes that tested positive guys like Kevin Durant and Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, most of them are going to be fine. But what about their coaches? Half the coaches in these sports leagues are 70. You know, Greg Popovich is well into his 70s. Bill Belichick, those guys, or the assistant coaches or the staff members at these for these teams, like it's nobody's nobody lives in a bubble. When you think of of populations and you're like, well, they're gonna be safe, or we're gonna be safe because we're rural, or we're gonna be safe because we're young and healthy, we all come into contact with everybody, and that's that's where this explodes. Right. You know, speaking of news on the national level, millions of Americans are going to be receiving their $1,200 stimulus checks today, April 15th, or, or yesterday and, and throughout the week. But we are now on, what would you call this? Would you call this week four or week five of these huge unemployment chunks? And we are just now getting these stimulus checks? 
Mm -hmm. There was a proposal by representatives Tim Ryan and Ro Khanna that's being presented called the Emergency Money for the People Act, which would provide $2,000 per month per person to people who have been infected. Who knows where that's going to go in terms of things, but it it is kind of wild to think about that as soon as this happened, there was this immediate rush to get people their stimulus checks, and those checks are just now going out four weeks later. It, it it's, it's kind of wild when you think about the timeliness of these things in terms of like, you and I are, are very lucky and we're very privileged to be able to maintain our lifestyles the way that we're being able to. But if you were living paycheck to paycheck and you're now four weeks without money or with a much reduced paycheck from unemployment, things are probably not looking nearly as bright for you. Yeah, and that, I would say that doesn't speak as much to, I, I would criticize the federal government and state governments in a lot of ways right now. This, I guess you could look at this as a failure of planning months ago of saying, all right, what's the scenario if this does break out? Um, and actually referencing some of those old pandemic plans and saying like, all right, what would we have to do if this were to become something that shut down society? How would we support people? You would like to think that somebody had a, had been thinking about that beforehand and was ready to roll it out. We clearly did not. But as far as it does not surprise me at all, like they pass that, like we're, we're going through the loan protection programs and the banks don't even know how this works yet. And the SBA that has to administer it, they're still trying to figure out exactly how this works. And where the money goes. And even for that paycheck protection program, they put out 350 billion to fund businesses under 500 employees. Well, that was gone in, in a heartbeat just to fund two months. I, you, you just can't fulfill all of that. I don't know. I think, so it does, that all just to say, like it doesn't surprise me that it, it's taken three or four weeks for such a massive program to start delivering checks to people. Um, what, what I think more about is actually like, where's how much debt are we going into as a, as a country, like we, all these programs are needed, obviously. And if the government's going to tell businesses they can't operate, you got to find a way to help them stay afloat if they're not allowed to sell goods and services. But I mean, we used to complain about a few hundred million dollars of debt, and I don't see how we get out of this without adding maybe in the tens of trillions of dollars in debt <laughs> to right. our, our, our national debt. So yeah, that was my long-winded response to your very simple question. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a couple of things coming up. Later today, you'll be talking to Wisconsin Tourism Secretary Sarah Meany about virtual travel opportunities, and we will have that interview for people to listen to tomorrow. Uh, but you also spoke with Sturgeon Bay School Superintendent Dan Chernoggle uh, about the recently passed referendum and what that means for the district, but then also the future of education right now in the COVID-19 era. Um, is there anything else that we want to talk about before we jump into that interview with Dan? No, it was just a, a great conversation. I uh, always like catching up with Dan, talking about a lot of different things and, and what the school is doing right now, how that referendum is going to impact it. But really, a lot of talk about how you deal with COVID-19 and the, the empathy that he has for his, his students and his seniors and his community. And a lot of the, you know, not solutions that they have, but the things they're discussing right now of how, how to move forward, um, because it changes hour by hour, day by day. Well, Miles, thank you so much for chatting with me today. And I look forward to chatting with you again tomorrow. And we will jump into your conversation with Dan Chernoggle right after this. All right. Thank you, Andrew. Joining me now on the Door County Pulse podcast is Dan Chernoggle, the superintendent of Sturgeon Bay Schools. Dan, thanks so much for joining me today. Absolutely, Miles. Thank you for having me again. 
want to talk to you. You guys got some really good news this week when the election results came in. The voters of Sturgeon Bay overwhelmingly approved a referendum to provide, I believe, the number is $16.84 million for improvements, for security, and a lot of other things for Sturgeon Bay schools. What does this mean for the school district, and and what exactly will this help you and the, the board and your staff do? Excellent. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to talk about it, Miles. Uh, first of all, as I've said to some folks, uh, especially in recent days, it, it almost feels strange to talk about this uh, referendum right now in light of right. COVID-19 and all the impacts, right? And I know you and I talked about that a couple of days ago as well. Um, so, yes, it, it certainly is, uh, is a major project and obviously couldn't happen without the input of community and some partners and staff. Uh, listening sessions, a big community survey to bring forward something that a uh, majority of uh, likely voters would, would be in favor of. And that's kind of how that whole proven process laid out. Uh, we know our community has been very supportive of uh, not just our school district, but uh, individuals of our of our community. And again, as you and I talk, where we talk about community, yes, here in Sturgeon Bay, but also throughout Door County, uh, as people are pulling together uh, in this just unprecedented time. Uh, back to the referendum. So, yes, certainly want to thank everyone involved in all the different steps of that, as, as well as voters. Uh, we know that it's important as a school district that we continue to uh, be reflect, re- a reflection excuse me, of our local community and continue to earn trust and continue to do the best thing we can, not just for the kids and families we serve, but uh, bring uh, you know, value to the community. As far as the referendum itself, yes, it is uh, $16.84 million uh, over the course of basically the next 20 years. As far as capital enhancements, uh, our listeners and residents in Door County are familiar with operational referenda. School District of Sturgeon Bay has been in about an every three-year cycle on that for a period of time. So this is a different type of referendum. It's been about a quarter century since uh, our community went through this before with the building of what we call Sawyer School. And Sawyer School is a big part of this project, as we'll talk about. And roughly a quarter century before that was the uh, building of the high school, where where I'm sitting right now, that's approximately 50 years old. So kind of interesting how, at least in our community, you know, every quarter century or so, at least it seems recently, is when uh, some sort of major uh, capital update happens. Sure. As you alluded to, Miles, there's uh, kind of the four categories, as we've talked about them, from the educational enhancements uh, to safety and security. Uh, Obviously, capital maintenance, we've done a lot of maintenance, but there's some maintenance that doesn't fit within the annual budget, and then what we call building utilization. So those are the four categories, and uh, I don't want to just keep rambling. Uh, We'll we'll get into those, I know, but... uh um, what else uh, do you want to fire my way yeah, for um, some of those details? Well, you know, there's this is an interesting one because some of the other referendums we've seen were, you know, you're talking districts, Sage of Gibraltar. It is a one campus district. There aren't outlying schools. There aren't multiple areas to impact. So it's it's kind of easier to grasp what exactly that referendum is for. It's very tangible. It's one spot that you can see the library changing. Sevastopol, it's a one building district as well. So it might be a little different for Sturgeon Bay voters to understand, like, there's a lot of things wrapped into this, right? You're, you're consolidating the elementary schools, if I understand that correctly. And, and this, this will touch on a lot of different areas of your district. Yeah, it's interesting with being kind of the city of Door County, 
um, which again, locals understand many, in you know, many good ways. And other people that, of course, have relocated to Door County, maybe from larger communities, you know, might sometimes chuckle thinking of Sturgeon Bay as being the city because they're from <laughs> yeah. maybe a much larger city elsewhere, right? But right. that is the dynamic here, right? So we've got kind of the concentration of people, the concentration of students. As you and I have talked in the past, you know, property value works a little differently in the city where there's a lot happening in the city, but with the different, uh, you know, TIF districts and whatnot, where that's not necessarily a part of the tax rolls, how all that works going back, not just years, but really decades. Right. Uh, but yeah, we're we, of the county districts, we're the one that has multiple campuses, uh, unlike uh, everybody else, really. So mm-hmm. yes, we, we basically have three elementary schools that we currently operate. Uh, so Sunset Elementary School, Sun uh, pardon me, Sawyer Elementary School and Sunrise Elementary School. I got ahead of myself there. And of those three, <laughs> this uh, approved referendum will take us down to two buildings. Uh, so the plan is to take Sunset Elementary offline uh, and instead, so basically Sunset is where our early childhood 4K students and 5K students have uh, been served the last uh, number of years. By closing that building out and adding on four classrooms at Sawyer Elementary, we will, in essence, and that's the, the building from about 25 years ago almost now on the, over on the west side, mm-hmm. uh, that will have early childhood 4K, 5K, first and second grade students all served in that, uh, in that facility. It's the district's newest facility. So as we talked with uh, the board and talked with stakeholders, the thinking was, yeah, making uh, more of an investment in the district's newest building probably is going to make sense to people. So that's the plan with that. Uh, not to get ahead of myself too far, but uh, we had a call yesterday with Meyer and Construction and Epstein New and Architects, our architecture firm, uh, talking more about the timeline. Obviously, it's early in this part of the process, but the thinking is that uh, not now, this this summer, right, because of the way permits and everything else work, and we know our neighboring districts have work occurring this, this summer, for example, but the summer of 2021 is where a big focus will be on Sawyer Elementary School so that Sawyer Elementary can be ready for the fall of 2021, so that 2021-2022 school year, uh, that uh, we would no longer need sunset at that point, that the plan is all those kiddos and staff be, we served at, at, at Sawyer then. What happens to sunset? The the building there? Uh, the plan? Yeah, great question. So in uh, talking through the process and working through, we wanted to include money in the referendum if Sunset School needed to be basically raised and that site returned to green space to be sold for some sort of appropriate city development. Okay. All right. So uh, that those dollars are built in. The hope is that we would be able to sell that um, and, and theoretically, as I've told people, again, the board hasn't acted on this, but I've mentioned this to the Economic Development Corporation, the city, et cetera, that, you know, the way I would look at it, if good use can be made of that, that property that really is owned by the city, right, owned by the residents, in theory, I'd be open to selling that for as little as a dollar to the right buyer uh, so that the $594,000, in essence, that theoretically are earmarked to take care of that site could be put into other uh, district, um, you know, facility upgrades or really maintenance upgrades uh, that this referendum couldn't touch on simply because the price tag would have gotten too high. Hmm. Uh, so that again, it's not it's not like it's officially listed for a dollar or anything. Not to confuse anyone, but boy, you know <laughs> that as we talked about that in different in different uh, city situations and meetings, people have said, "Well, that does make sense," you know. And we look in that neighborhood, you know, just kind of up from Bay Ship, if you will, or the old WireTech development. My uh, in-laws. I own a home there now. I have for a couple of years. Um, that that neighborhood, right, certainly has had housing added. We all know there's a need for housing in this county, 
So, you know, who knows uh, what exactly the future holds, Miles, but we're hopeful that the appropriate uh, use and buyer for that facility uh, uh, could come up in the next, you know, if you want to say year, year and a half, two years, depends who you're talking to. But sure. that's kind of the thinking there, if that makes sense. Very interesting. So go, a little more about what does this mean? Let's say for the high school building, probably the most prominent one that anybody looks to. Um, what will be Absolutely. changing at, at what's called T.J. Walker Middle School, I guess, is the, the building, right? Yeah, T.J. Walker Middle School attached to Sturgeon Bay High School here. So really, we, we sometimes, I mean, they're, they're two different schools. They're on different schedules. At the same time, they are connected together for any of our listeners that don't already know that. Um, so here at the secondary campus, and then uh, I'll super quickly comment so I don't forget to do that. Right across the street from here is our three through five campus, Sunrise Elementary. Mm -hmm. So while the Sawyer work uh, could happen in one summer, the work at Sunrise, basically renovating that initial core of the building that goes back to the early 50s, which is the same vintage of Sunset Elementary will be taking offline. Um, that work and then the work at the middle and high school, that's more work than can be done in one summer. Uh, so again, this is not written out that I've seen in construction schedule yet, but I would anticipate the summer of 2021 that some of that would begin. And then the summer of 2022, uh, it would be in essence completed because the hope from both our architect and construction management for Myron um, is that the, the rest of this work could be done in time for the fall of 2022. Uh, so that, you know, in essence, two main summers of work plus work throughout the school year. Okay. Uh, so Sunrise, again, kind of just renovating those main rooms, bathroom uh, facilities, which really, really needed the hallway area, bringing that up. There's no addition or anything like that planned for Sunrise, but getting that back up to snuff, uh, as, again, the kids and community would deserve. And then here at the middle and high school, as, as you said, Miles, that's, that's where um, some of the more, uh, I don't know if you want to say more exciting things or, or things that residents through the, uh, the survey really spoke in favor of, updating some of our career and technical education areas. Uh, so really two main areas there. There's what many people would think of as a, kind of a tech ed facility. Right okay. now we have a middle school shop that's kind of a wood shop, if you will. We have next to that the high school uh, wood shop, if you will, where a variety of things happen. And then we have uh, an area currently held by maintenance. I'll come back to that. And on the other side of the maintenance area is the high school metal shop. So there's four areas down there, three of which are currently used for ac academic purposes. The thinking is to have all four of those areas be a part of an updated uh, tech ed suite, if you will. We know as far as middle skills, not only in the state of Wisconsin, but northeast Wisconsin, there's a lot of employment opportunity out there. We know our community here in Sturgeon Bay and the industrial park, obviously a lot of good jobs in that. And we want to make sure our kids have the proper training regardless of their, their next step uh, to, to prepare them for that. So that maintenance area I talked about, so other than updating the other three areas, obviously, the maintenance area was once upon a time an automotive shop going back many years. Hmm. Now, as a former high school principal, I know many high schools got out of the automotive piece, not that we all don't need them, but, you know, the ability to fix those things and liability and whatnot has changed a lot over the years. So that had become maintenance shop area. And the plan is to return that to tech ed space and more of what some would call a clean manufacturing uh, area, uh, where a lot of manufacturers you walk into nowadays are quite impressive if people haven't been there. Uh, that type of space that would link all four of those together, have more of an internal flow between students, uh, staff ability to supervise rather than just be locked into one area. We also have a CAD lab that 
as it currently is. It's kind of the far end of the high school building by our cafeteria, which is not a good setup. So getting that down into that suite area and really updating that. So I know that's a whole area that could be a conversation in and of itself, but we're very excited about those possibilities as well as other potential partnerships that would benefit kids, families, and local businesses there. And then the other uh, career and tech ed area in particular to touch base on would be uh, the family and consumer science area here at the high school. I think some of our listeners would remember the days of Homec. It's, it's quite different now. Uh, Natalie Townsend is our teacher who's done a wonderful job with that area and program over the years. She does a variety of things from health occupations to, yes, there's some different things with fashion and design and sewing to support some of the uh, dramatic uh, performances that the middle and the high school do. And in addition to that, certainly I think the whole culinary piece as we look at Door County and we look at uh, the service industry, uh, she's done some nice things with that and connected it to the new greenhouse that we know our community supported through all those fundraise dollars and everyone involved in that effort and updating that space to more of a commercial kitchen, more of a, a kind of a view for the future, preparing kids everywhere from culinary to health occupations and things in between. So that's that's kind of an overview of, of those of those main areas before we go into some of the other uh, safety or, or, or office things. Well, I think what else can we, can we I tell you about that? And there's it's really interesting if you think back to I graduated high school in 1997 at that time and in the years following, a lot of schools kind of divested from your shop classes, your technical education, and probably to their detriment. You know, it was part of this huge yeah. wave of like college readiness focus only. And only in the last couple of years have, have schools really started to go, wait, we need to reinvest in those things. And um, especially when you look at the graduates last year in Door County, especially Southern Door and Sturgeon Bay districts, so many of these kids are going to technical college after high school for various reasons. But it's if you're, if you're gearing all of your education toward four-year degrees and in, in, in universities, you are you were bypassing so many of your students. So getting back to yeah. some of these technical skills is kind of more well rounding out your, your educational program. Absolutely. Well put miles. And I think so uh, for anyone who doesn't know, I was a high school principal and high school administrator and began as a high school English teacher as far as my career path. So I spent 10 years down at Ripon high school as a high school principal. This is my sixth year here in Sturgeon Bay. It was fascinating uh, watching that. So we think of Ripon as a pretty small community, not far from Green Lake, but really it's the second largest community that's solely in Fond du Lac County behind Fond du Lac. Hmm. Um, so as we think of a major employer like Alliance Laundry Systems and whatnot, as people are like, oh, yeah, I've, I've heard of that. Or you think of Ripon Good Cookies back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was fascinating. Also, the home of Ripon College, obviously. So we had quite a, a unique kind of dichotomy going on as far as a lot of opportunities. But there was almost a pressure like, OK, in some ways, kind of look at, at the four-year college part as that's what kids are doing. And really, we worked hard during that time to talk more with kids and families and the community about, hey, we want kids to have the most and best options after high school, after their time in our district. And really, that needs to involve a variety of types of college, not just one. And it's not that technical college is is a lesser college or a two-year campus, not the case at all. It's just different. So right. we wanted all our kids to kind of, you know, certainly some went right to the workforce and certainly some of our kids were probably are probably serving uh, in, in our armed forces, which is wonderful. We wanted all our kids to be ready for, you know, whatever the right type of next step or right type of college for them, knowing that, you know, it looks a variety of ways. Also, when you and I were graduating high school miles and 
I'm certain many of, if not most of our listeners, there weren't situations where you could go to a two-year technical college campus, for example, and say, okay, I'm going to come away for, with a certification degree here, very good skills, get a very good paying job, and also be able to transfer directly to one of the four-year camp- campuses you know, yeah. without basically having to start over. Um, that's something that in recent years, there's, there's a lot more of that. So I think, you know, there's a better understanding, not that there still isn't more work to do. Um, in fact, just a quick side story. Uh, we would have uh, one of the uh, vice presidents from Rain Park Technical Colleges, College. That was uh, our district down, uh, the Technical College district down there. Uh, Josh is his first name. He's, I think, a, a college administrator down in the state of Illinois now. Did a very nice job sharing information with kids and parents. Very fascinating as far as school trends, education, and of course, job trends and what kids were making. Um, but we also, as well received as that was with many people, we would occasionally get pushback because we were in a small college, you know, community, if you will, that, well, why, why are you telling kids not to go to four-year college? And of course, we're saying, <laughs> we're not telling them not to go to four-year college. We're not telling them not to go to two-year. Our job is to let kids and parents know their options. It's up to them to decide where they should go. Uh, so anyway, not well, to go too far on a kind of a side path, but all that impacts the facilities that we have at ours. Certainly, Ripon High School had done a big project as I was leaving there, and uh, now you know we're looking at a, at a at a project not as big as that one, but to make appropriate updates for this community. Well, um, I don't mind that tangent at all because it's one of my like uh, pet peeves is that <laughs> that emphasis on four year universities. Even though I come from a, a family of people who all went to them, it's um, certainly it. What really stuck out to me is around 2010, I think, uh, the Harvard uh, School of Higher Education came out with a, an exhaustive study that looked at income potential for people who went to four-year universities versus uh, two-year associate's degree or technical college degrees. And it uh, essentially, if you, you take out the 1% of the top wage earners in the country, so basically like your hedge fund managers and your executive class, and if you take them out, that the average two-year degree holder makes more than the average four-year degree holder. So just like right there, you have this, it changes the whole conversation. And then when you think about as much as we talk about that emphasis on four-year degrees and universities, those, the options for a two-year degree are, there's still so many people who don't get four-year degrees. And there's still so many people who go to college out of high school, but never actually finish that degree or transfer two or three times. So we don't actually do that great of a job of guiding young young people to the most efficient path to get into a career. Um, so I think it's it's not to say anti four years by any means. It's just that oh no, we we do have to open our minds and get away from that like it's four year university track only because that costs a ton of money. the The information you have to make that decision is actually really poor as an eighteen year old, <laughs> and the and the loans you take out, and and what you know about that money at that point in your life, and what your family might know, especially if you're the first generation to do that in your family, where you don't have this background of relatives who have gone through that process before. There are just so many things that that just to say like yes, just do it, just take out the loans. You should just do that. Like there there's so many drawbacks, especially with how expensive college is today. So putting all those options on the yeah. table, giving people more a- avenues is definitely a, a great way for schools to serve everybody and not just a certain class of student. Yeah. Well, and I think for a lot of adults now and, and parents with kids in school, uh, they still went through kind of the educational system at a time where it was like, okay, go off, get a good education, you know, your four-year degree, if you will. And then, then you can figure out the job after that. 
right? And what we've seen in roughly the past decade is that's certainly working for some, but not working for others. Mm-hmm. And technical colleges talk about, um, you know, the number of people that they have that either have spent time on a four-year campus like you alluded to and not completed, or in some cases have completed and haven't been able to find employment within their field. And now some of those people are going the technical college route. It's interesting. I was, I would say, Miles, between eight and 10 years ago, I had the opportunity because of some federal charter school grant dollars uh, with one of my faculty members and I went down to uh, South by Southwest as far as the education version Hmm. down in Austin, Texas. A fascinating conference, unlike anything I had uh, I have attended before or since. Um, and one of the sessions I went to was, uh, I forget the way that their system in Texas is set up. Obviously, it's not exactly the same as Wisconsin, but we would look at that uh, gentleman as being kind of like the president of the technical college system in Wisconsin. Okay. And he talked, he talked about uh, student loan debt in a ways that eight to 10 years ago, I didn't hear anybody else, certainly not in the upper Midwest, talking about. He talked about that bubble and how they could track certain things when it comes to, you know, people defaulting on, on car loans and how that impacts student loans and how that'll impact the economy and just some fascinating stuff. He also talked about something the state of Texas had, in essence, approved, as I recall, but wasn't really acting on yet, that was tying funding for uh, technical college campuses and four-year campuses, in essence, to their ability to place uh, graduates into needed areas. And of course, again, he was biased toward the technical college angle, which was fine. Mm -hmm. Um, But he also talked openly about the data and said, you know, graduating a bunch of people in in a particular four-year field that doesn't line up well with getting work isn't helping that graduate, isn't helping them pay off their debt, isn't helping their family or their career. Whereas if we're putting people directly into, you know, all these different trades, whether it's in healthcare, whether it's in manufacturing, um, you know, they don't have the student loan debt. They are working hard. Uh, they're, you know, good members of society supporting a family. Um, why shouldn't the universities or technical colleges that are placing kids into those needed areas why shouldn't they be getting more funding and the other places that are just pumping kids out that aren't aligning with anything? Why shouldn't they get less funding? So it was, it was a fascinating view of the world. And again, that's eight, 10 years ago. You think of how the world has changed since. Um, and it really kind of got me, got me thinking about the work we were doing at the high school at the time and how to not talk down to anybody. Cause that's not right. Yeah. Yet try to help people open their minds more. Uh, there's a great book that I read, and we actually brought this author up to the county with the help of Door County Economic Development Corporation about eight or nine years ago. Um, he wrote the book, uh, Hollowing Out the Middle. And for anyone who's interested in like small towns, you could you read that book. It's about a small town in Iowa and about how they educate people and they'd send them off to four-year universities. They put all their resources into those kids who move and never come back into their community. But then they would they would ignore a lot of the kids who would end up being the ones who stayed. Um, so all through school, you're giving your leadership positions and leadership opportunities to the smartest kids who leave your community. And then you're left with all the kids who the people who have to, who are around to be your volunteers and board members and employees never got those opportunities in school. So it it just, when I, I was coaching at the time and I read that book and I was just like, it just changed the way that I looked at who I asked to lead our teams and giving other kids opportunities to, to be leaders and things like that. Um, but it's a, it's a fascinating book. And it, if you read it, you'd be like, well, this could be about Door County in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, that's, in, 
interesting. It almost it almost forms a vacuum of sorts, right? Where uh, certain types of opportunities are there, and the the, the kids head off, and and it's kind of like, oh, well, what about the rest of us? Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So beyond the referendum, obviously, in a normal year, the referendum would be the big focus. Right now, you'd be buckling down to plan that construction, and that'd be your main focus. But obviously, this is not a normal year. What has the last month of this going through the this coronavirus era in education? What has this been like for you and your staff? Yeah, it's uh, it's been fascinating. I think uh, <laughs> as I'm thinking about this, and as we talked the other night, you know, it's what situations that don't seem plausible on one day, you know, just sometimes a few days later or even less, are all of a sudden, yes, this is happening. There is a safer at home order, or there is this or that, or this business is closing, or what are these families going to do, or how in the world can school be, you know, closed at least the brick and mortar version of school? You know, it's it's been it's been a whirlwind for everybody. I think, uh, you know, safety wise is a main concern. As I'm thinking back to the referendum, probably what I didn't touch on was uh, the safe entrance at the high school and kind of switching the office space around. So. You know, work that in there, folks. That yes, that is certainly is a part of that. Mm-hmm. But I think back to the bigger, timely uh, issue. Um, it, it really has been a whirlwind, and, and and I mean, it's you know, kids are thrown off, parents are thrown off, employers, uh, our staff, and I think everybody is working so well together in, in this community. Again, as you and I talked the other night, Miles. You know, it's hard to imagine you know where would be a better place to live at a challenging time like this, right? right. Than here in Sturgeon Bay or Door County or for our Northern Door folks and, and whatnot, you know, the concept is there. What a great, safe place to be where fire departments take care of getting senior citizens what they need, where local schools say, hey, we're going we're gonna to feed kids, we're going to pump meals out, we're going to do it even during spring break, uh, we're going to do it in ways that are new and different than we ever have, that we're going to take a situation, and I know Gibraltar had done a little more planning with their, uh, you know, they're kind of at home learning, like even on a snow day, right? It done mm-hmm. some testing last year already with that. The rest of us, it was on our radar, but it wasn't quite as high of a priority with other things we're working on. But to take all of that and that planning and condense it down to literally a matter of days to then be able to <laughs> launch oppor- academic opportunities to kids and parents. And again, it's not perfect. We all know that. Let's be honest. A regular day of school isn't perfect. And I don't <laughs> think any school has 100% attendance on, on any given day as it is. Right. Uh, so not to make light of a tough situation, but you know, we've kind of reminded ourselves, hey, let's, let's take it slow. This is supposed to be helpful. Right. We're not trying to overwhelm kids or families and we're not trying to overwhelm staff either. I mean, we have many staff members that not only are, of course, community members, uh, they're, uh, you know, they're parents themselves. Right. Uh, So this whole kind of process and kind of incremental growth and change. Yes, some of it's been over overnight. But as our admin team meets each week and we're talking about what it is, I think uh, Mark Smullen, our middle school principal, was one of our principals to use the term and others have too, but kind of what's that pivot in a given week, right? So like our middle school was doing a a quick little survey with uh, middle school families today as far as, okay, where are we at with the amount of work? What are we doing? Because they're, you know, they, as all our staff are, working hard to not only improve their own practice and connect with kids and families in a way that's very different than what we've done, but also make that a little bit better uh, every day or every every week. Uh, so I think that's a part of the work that's going on. Um, back to your question, I think, you know, our, our board meetings, 
we had allowed, we had board policy allowing virtual attendance at board meetings. We have a board member or two that uh, travel extensively with their jobs. So we, we had been talking about that for a few years and then made that policy tweak, I would guess, miles two, three years ago, hmm. um, where that could, a person could not only attend but vote remotely. Yeah. Obviously, no, here we are. <laughs> so we had a, a special kind of workshop learning session last Wednesday. We had a regular meeting uh, this Wednesday where, you know, in essence, it's it's all virtual attendance. The way we're doing it, we still have our, our meeting room here at the Sturgeon Bay High School Library open. Last night, our board president uh, presided over the meeting from that usual location. That way, if we had an individual from the community that wanted to come in and proper, you know, practice proper social distancing, we're still taking care of that public access piece. Recorded it on local cable access with that staff there as they normally would. I happened to be down here in the, 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 the board conference room attached to my office. So I was also on campus, as was our business manager in his office and our high school principal in his office where, you know, we were attending remotely and our board member, the rest of our board members were not on campus. So, you know, that that's not something we've done with regular school board meetings over the years, you know, but yet business has to has to go on. So I think that whole shift, I think. Well, I, um, you and I you know, talk about that. It's a lot of long days for everybody, you know, to be honest, it's really long, <laughs> but, but we're all working through it together. Yeah, I mean, speaking of things that you that seemed impossible is I'm on a committee where two months ago we were saying, well, we can't meet because the chairman can't be here and we can't do remote meetings. And, it, you know, it was a village yeah. committee. And, you know, here we are two months later and everything's got to be remote. And it, it's really great to see, like, actually, it's teaching a lot of people what's possible that maybe had if maybe their work didn't allow them to do remote meetings in the past or they'd never tried it like I, I know a lot of people in county government have this has been a big adaptation for them and all sorts of schools and and people are finding out like oh we can actually do a lot of the things in a more flexible way that might actually be better for our for our employees and our staff and might make morale better if if we can be a little more flexible with life today so i think there are ways that people and businesses and organizations can come out of this in much better shape and, and actually much more nimble. You know, another question on a lot of people's minds, especially for people with seniors in high school right now, is what does the rest of this year look like? Gibraltar has made the decision to close the school building for the remainder of the school year, which leaves the, the question of graduation. Uh, the other schools sure. in the county have not made that call yet, but I think nobody would be surprised if the state made that call for them at some point. Like, what's the conversation at Sturgeon Bay School? What does graduation look like? Even if you are allowed to return to school in some fashion, is a graduation ceremony in a normal sense likely? What's the thinking right now? Yeah, well, I think um, I, I, I don't have it memorized at the moment, but I, I saw the uh, the journal this morning's Journal Sentinel update, uh, you know, on the topic is they're sending uh uh, daily updates out. And uh, there wasn't a quote from the governor, but it was stated some of the things I know I've heard in some of my calls with like the deputy state superintendent that it sounds like an announcement of some sort is coming and perhaps sooner rather than later. Although Mike Thompson, deputy state superintendent, didn't have the inside info. That Journal Sentinel article that I saw this morning, again, didn't quote the governor, but it said that, you know, the governor basically anticipating not only an extension of the order, but a closure of schools. So mm. we'll, we'll see what that looks like. I think, again, as you and I have talked before, I think a majority of folks are preparing for that. They're anticipating that. I think the tricky part is, you know, we would all 
Uh, you know, in many ways, we'd love to be able to have school as we normally would, just like people would love to go to their jobs as usual. The person-to-person contact many of us thrive on, you know, that is preferred. Good closure for kids in person. I think lots of people uh, are, are looking at it that way. I know we had a very nice uh, email from a parent to one of our board members this week. Uh, this parent has elementary kids in our district and just said, you know, they realize a lot of people are calling for closures and, you know, Gibraltar, for example, had done so. She was kind of pleading with the board, you know, not to be in a hurry to do that, that it'd be great to get the kids back together, even if it was for a couple of weeks, and at least just kind of give that some time. So I think our admin team and our board here, you know, we're hopeful but we realize with every news cycle, every day, every week, that the likelihood of being able to safely, and I think that's the main thing, as you and I know, to be able to safely offer school or safely offer graduation, which we'll swing back to, um, you know, that's that's getting less and less likely in, in, in person every day. Uh, the other piece going into this is, you know, hope. We, we all want some hope. Right. Um, I think each kid and each family goes through a cycle each week. As some of our listeners would know, and most probably one time, a middle school age daughter, right? So each Monday, there's kind of that feeling of overwhelmingness, right? Where, where she sees all her assignments and all her classes for the week, and she knows she doesn't have to do them all in one or two or even three days, but it's just she personally feels overwhelmed. And then Tuesday typically is like, hey, okay, that, that's a little better. I'm, I'm clicking away at the list, right? And so there's kind of those ups and downs throughout the day and throughout the week for her as a, you know, barely a teenager. And I think our families are going through the same thing. Anything we can do not to extend false hope, but to have some hope and just let this process work its way through, I think is important, even though naturally we all need to be safe and responsible and to think, boy, to bring kids with some health conditions or staff with health conditions or students or staff who have a family member with health conditions to be able to reopen school. Boy, how practical is that when how much health equipment and other things are going to be in place between now and in our case, June 5th, right? Just, right. It's just not very likely, uh, which is the hard part there. So, yeah, it's tough. I like, I thought on that before we swing back to our Toward, toward our seniors we're all thinking a lot about? Well, yeah, I mean, I talk to other school board members uh, at other schools too, and and they bring up some of those same points. It's like, hey, we have we have some teachers with who are diabetic. We have a lot of students with asthma. We have all those things that you say like, all right, we're, the percentages aren't great, but then you think of one person at any school and how devastating that is and yeah. putting them at risk. It, it all seems very small, even in the grand scheme of like, okay, there's 27,000 people in Door County. What if we had graduation and and one person ended up getting sick and dying. It doesn't seem that great of an impact, but um, we've all been there. Like uh, when you lose someone in a school, it is it's devastating to that community. And oh yeah, if if you were the it, you got to weigh that in in any of those decisions. Like what's the the greater good and what's the sacrifice you're willing to make? And I don't think anybody would say a person is the sacrifice they're willing to make, um, which makes this such a difficult decision for everybody to have on their yeah. plate. Well. I'll- all these things, school, graduation, again, we're talking education-wise here, but it certainly applies to families in general and everyone, you know, as they think about their typical work or a retired person who typically gathers at the ADRC or people that gather at their churches or, you know, the list could go on and on. It's like that whole normalcy is not only gone, but what replaces it is a lot of unknown. And we mm-hmm. know, uh, especially as adults, right, the whole the fear of the unknown in some ways is even worse than bad news. And none of us want bad news, but just that not knowing is so difficult. 
And as each day and week passes, it's, it's, it's harder and harder on people. And as we see, like, in the national news cycle about, okay, if this extends in most places another month, you know, then people are saying, hey, we're, we're battling like we can, but how is our small business or how does our family or, you know, whoever it is, how do we keep going uh, another month without at least kind of incrementally trying to restart the economy or, you know, whatever the case might be. And then that's, and that unknown and that fear and that kind of hanging out there that just, it does, it takes a toll on people. It's, it's very difficult. Yeah. Um, and, and everybody's got it, whether they work for somebody or whether you're running an organization, an organization like you are, or owning a small business like we do at the pulse, it's, uh, you know, you want to get back to normal. You want to, you want to celebrate something, you know, I'm desperate to do that this time of year. It's usually for us, the door County half marathon would be, I'd be yeah. knee deep in planning that and working in the park right now. It's one of my favorite weeks of the year. And it's, it's, um, it is such a bummer for this community because it's such a great celebration, um, that we've postponed that to October. Hopefully that can still happen in October. Hopefully we still figure some things out. But yeah, like you said, it, it just stinks that so much is unknown. Yeah. What can you say about what, what seniors are, are going through or, or ways to celebrate them? Or what, what are the, some of those discussions on how you give them that, that closure and that excitement yeah, that comes I, with being a senior? Absolutely. I think, you know, we're all, you know, as adults, we've, we've, we've not only been there and we've talked about oh, what, what a fun time that was. And some of us remember more of it than others, certainly, <laughs> but it's, it's kind of, it's an exciting chapter again with, with my career in education, as well as certainly when I became a dad, thinking of my own daughter graduating someday, you know, those, those are powerful times as far as a celebration, not just for the senior, but for the family excitement and a celebration for whatever's next as they go off to the next chapter, knowing, boy, they can keep in contact with their friends maybe in ways we couldn't when we were seniors because we didn't have the, the device in our hand or the social media. You know, they can still keep in contact, but they move to the next chapter and know, you know they'll never be in that with that group of their classmates again. You know, I think of all the times I get to sit at, you know, at the front of a graduation ceremony and listen to the kids and watch their faces, which is absolutely precious. Most people don't get a chance to get the view you know, a high school principal or superintendent or board member gets. And it's just, it's hard to put into words how powerful that is. And to then think, boy, what if they don't get that, right? Because right. right now it's like, well, how, how could we safely do that as, as you alluded to? So really, um, I, I know I was disappointed. Bob Nickel, our high school principal, and I were uh, corresponding and chatting the other day about, you know, the different possibilities and, you know, what, what can you responsibly plan? And you don't want to just pick a different date knowing it might make someone feel good then now knowing that, okay, what are the odds of that date happening, right? We, you don't want to do that to people either. And so really kind of as we've looked at it, we thought, well, we don't know exactly what's going to happen, you know, whether it's a couple of parents from our senior committee that have been talking with Bob and, you know, we're, we're very open to, you know, whatever the best thing is. And ideally, you know, if I was back in my principal days, I'd probably be talking with my class officers like, hey, you know, guys and girls, what, what, what do you think? You're, you're the senior, you're, you know, your representative is your class. You know, what are your preferences as we know them? You know, trying to have dialogue about what to do. It really seems like, not that this is the only two ways to look at it, Miles, but but what I've seen, and back to what Bob was saying, it's kind of disappointing. There aren't more good ideas out there, whether it's from Justin's or, or you know, districts across the country. There, there's only so much there, and it's kind of like some variation in the one category of some sort of a virtual graduation. You know, I think of whether it's a virtual service or whatnot. Obviously, it's not the same as being in person, but it's a lot better than nothing. You know, can you have certain people virtually, you know, making speeches? Can you, can you be reading names and showing senior pictures or whatever the case might be? You know, there's that kind of piece and that piece could be done in a timely fashion around the time, if not 
exactly when graduation typically happens. I suppose that's plausible in places, and I'm sure there'll be places across our country that, that do that. And then there's the other piece of, well, we know we all prefer in-person, you know, can you delay it? Can you have it in summer or can you have it next fall? I've heard both schools of thought and the challenge is none of us know, you know, if we knew, <laughs> Hey, we can have it by July 4th, we would tell people and do it. Right. But, but we don't know that that's, that could safely occur. And once you get too far into the fall, you look at the conversation we were having earlier on about kids in the next chapter, whether we're off to college or off to the job or off to uh, the service, you know, the longer that goes, uh, the less likely you are to be able to assemble, you know, a majority of that group. So that, that's hard, you know, yeah. so then you go, boy, you know, tying it into a homecoming would be really cool. And I'm sure communities, some will try to do that. And in my mind, it's kind of like, boy, if I went Who's back a number of years to my old job, you know, is there a way almost to do a hybrid of the two to try to hit as much as you can, but yet you don't know. And we just, there's things we don't know yet to be able to set that in stone. And again, obviously the, the kids who are seniors, I, I personally believe, you know, they need a chance to weigh in on on what they'd like or wouldn't like. But those, right. those are kind of a couple of those schools of thought, at least as I've seen it and thought about it and, and read about it. I know Gibraltar is is at least discussing the idea of doing something at the Skyway Drive-In where people could stay in their cars and then they could play the speeches up mm-hmm. on, the, on the screen. That'd be an interesting way to do it where you could still maintain distance. Um, and then uh, my, my sister down in Chicago, she sent me a link yesterday. I think it was Cassville High School that is putting up banners throughout the town for each of the seniors. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if businesses have sponsored them or what, but it'd be like, I think it's like pictures of them in their graduation gown or something like that around the town is an interesting way to do it. Maybe you can close third Avenue and they can march 10 feet apart down third Avenue and people can stay, <laughs> stand at a distance. I, yeah, right. I mean, there's, there's people are going to have to get super creative or, or, or maybe there's not a, a, a safe way to do it, but, um, it's, uh, it, it's hard to envision given that graduation is, you know, you have your your students, your parents, but in many cases, you have the grandparents usually at those kind of things. It's hard to imagine asking, you know, a, a thousand people to get together for that right now with, yes, with that, the elderly And that population. goes back to that, that safety piece, right? As much as we want to honor kids and families, and you gave me a little flashback to when I'd be, you know, doing those speeches with the, uh, the high school class, we'd meet throughout the year as the principal, right? You want it to be memorable. You don't want them to make any big mistakes that they or their classmates regret. You know, and talking about, you know, graduation is exciting and it's memorable and it'll go so fast for you, you know, soak it up. But also bear in mind, while part of graduation is for you, a lot of it's really for your family. Right. You know, it's a milestone that they supported you to get to this point. Um, you know, so we would talk a lot about that in those meetings that senior year about how, yes, a lot of this is for you and should be, but a lot of it's for your family. Right. So, you know, don't mess that up either. So now we go, boy, yeah, how do you how do you have people? And I've heard that drive in theory as well. And, you know, I, I was talking with someone like, boy, in a community like Sturgeon Bay, whether if it's not walking people along or marching them along in person or, or in a vehicle, goodness, probably enough boats in this town to, you know, take them down through the bridges <laughs> and, you know, one or two graduates in a boat, you know, all sorts of creative things. Um, it's like to do our best to honor them, but it's still not the same. Right. Uh, so, you know, how do, how do you get people through that process? It's, uh, it's, it's tricky. Well, Dan, we're almost 45 minutes in here, so I'll let you get back to some of the many things that are probably going <laughs> on your plate right now, and including a lot of the stuff we've talked about. But I really appreciate your time. Uh, it's always a pleasure talking to you and, and, and having conversations about this kind of stuff in education in, in Door County. And best of luck uh, in figuring out all this stuff that, that educators need to, to solve in the next day, weeks, and months ahead. Excellent. Miles, uh, always nice talking with you. Thanks for the opportunity to uh, kind of 
talk out loud with some of this stuff and uh, give our residents not only the appropriate updates they deserve, uh, but a chance for them to be thinking creatively as well. Yeah, maybe maybe you'll get some good ideas out of this. We'll see. Hey, Have a good day, Dan. But there are lots of smart people out there. We, we take the, all the good ideas we can get. Thanks, <laughs> all right, take care. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.